We're going to be looking at Romans 1. If you don't have those things, uh, if you open up your bulletin, you'll see there's a place there where the, where the verses are that we're going to look at. There's also a place to take notes. So I want to start by reading. Um, we're going to just look at one verse today, verse 17. So let me read that as we get started. Friends, this is God's word, and he's got something to say to you through it today. For in it, this is the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You ever ask yourself, what is God doing in the world? You ever wonder, like, what is he up to? And if he's really in control, why are things so broken? Why is our country the way it is? Why is our city the way it is? But that's easy, right? Why is my life the way it is? This verse addresses that. This verse speaks directly to that question. Um, And we're just going to look at this verse. Last week we looked at verse 16. Today we're looking at verse 17. We're not always going to move this slowly uh, through the book of Romans. Otherwise we would be here for 25 years, six months, three days, um, because that's how long it would take if you add up all the verses. Just kidding, I made that up. But there are some verses in this letter that are so densely packed, they're so thematically overarching that we need to slow down and understand what they mean. Verses 16 and now verse 17, these are verses that Paul will spend the rest of the entire letter helping us to understand. And so we're going to walk through really the four phases, the four phrases of this verse, and we're going to start with the key theme that is the righteousness of God. That's the first phrase that we're going to talk about. What does this phrase mean, the righteousness of God? There's a definition for you I'm going to put up on the screen. It says, in his character and actions, God promises to lead and love the world and to develop his people to rule over it in his image. God's righteousness is seen as he takes action to make these promises come true. That's what the righteousness of God means. And so it means God's rule. It's who God is and what God does. That God loves what is good and God opposes what is evil. God's righteousness is that God entered into a covenant with humanity. He rules benevolently over everyone. He protects his people and he cares for them. And he opposes injustice, oppression, laziness, and selfishness. From the beginning, at creation, God entered into a covenant with humanity. He blessed us as our Heavenly Father, and He called us to join Him in making the world gloriously fruitful. Okay, God wanted us to be cultivating all of life in excitement with all of the possibilities that are hidden both on earth and in the universe. This was God's covenant with us. And even after humanity fell into sin, God redrew the circle of his love around us in another covenant, pledging forgiveness and renewal so that broken people would be healed and renewed. This is what the Bible's about. Um, And so the righteousness of God, this phrase tells us the story of God's relationships. It's about God doing his part to renew people, to act against evil, 
so that we can join him again in renewing the world. God's righteousness means him, he's taking action to make his covenant promises come true. And ultimately, it means that he's going to fix everything that's wrong with the world and with us. But this phrase, the righteousness of God, also brings tension. When you begin to understand that this is what it means, that God has made these promises and that God is active and he's going to be fulfilling these promises, if God loves and rules over the world, if he blesses his people again, then why do bad things happen? What's the deal? How can God be righteous when my life looks the way it looks? These are the things that make people question God's righteousness. And this is exactly why Paul, the author of this letter, is so excited about the gospel. Okay, verse 17 says, it's because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. It's unveiled. It's as though God's righteousness has been hidden. We have these questions about where is God, what's he up to, and we don't really understand, and it's kind of like it's behind curtain number four, but the curtain is shut, and in the gospel, the curtain opens, and we get to see God's righteousness revealed. The gospel actually shows us that God is faithful to his covenant promises and to his plans for both people and the world. And so that's the next thing that we're going to see is that this righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. So we have good news. Good news. Paul is announcing this. This is news. This is like him on the corner, not selling a paper, but announcing news nonetheless. He's saying God is actively working to make his promises come true. You need to know that. When you struggle with sin, when you give into temptation again and again and again, when that area of your life that's broken when that brokenness sort of rears its ugly head again, you need to know that God is actively working. Because if you're anything like me, in those moments you think, man, God is either dead or he doesn't care because he's surely not around. But the good news is that God is actively working to make his promises come true. This is why Paul was so excited about the gospel. This is why he wasn't ashamed of the gospel, because God, he could see it. He could see it, that God is so committed to the world. He hasn't abandoned the world. He hasn't left us to just run off and do our own thing. No, God is actively committed to the world and its renewal, so much so that he entered into the world in Jesus to fix things, to make things right. This is the gospel. And in the gospel, it's finally revealed how God is going to fix what's wrong with the world and bring the ultimate renewal. Right, This life that you long for, the life that I long for, right? We want to be happy, we want to, but, but it's not just happiness. I mean, happiness is sort of this, it's kind of this thing that we get sold, and you're going to get sold over and over and over again this afternoon when you watch the Super Bowl. Every commercial is going to promise you the life that you're longing for if you just drink this beer. Wait, they don't show beer commercials? Yeah, they do. Wait, do they? Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's, 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 they, if you just have these clothes, if you just eat this food, if you just have this car, if you just have, then you're going to be happy. And it's crap. It's garbage. It's wrong. It's a lie. It's a lie. The gospel says, though, that God is so committed that God is going to fix what's wrong with the world. The life that you long for, it's more than just happiness. It's significance. It's that you matter. It's that you accomplish something. It's that someone actually cares that you're around, right? That's the life that we want. 
We want to feel like we're not just here twiddling our thumbs or running in neutral, right? But we're actually, there's something of significance. And that is the life that God is delivering. And Jesus shows us God's plan to make that a reality. Okay, we saw a couple weeks ago in verses 3 and 4 of this chapter, it says that God came in Jesus. He came as one of us. And Jesus was the renewed humanity that he always envisioned human beings being. (laughs) Right? Jesus was the renewed humanity that we're supposed to be. And he came not just to show us how it's done, but to rescue us for not doing it ourselves. Okay, Jesus came not just to show us that, hey, it can be done, because I did it. No, Jesus came to love us when we haven't done it ourselves. Right? This is good news, because all of us are failures at this. All of us fall short of living to the standard of the glory of God. And even, it's not even just the perfect standard. I mean, we just don't care so much about God and his glory. We don't live for God. We live apart from him. And we just, we just don't want him that much. I mean, we want him on Sundays. Maybe we want him in life groups. Sometimes we want him in the morning. Sometimes we don't, right? We live our lives and we're not living for God's glory. And so Jesus comes and does this, not just so that we can feel guilty, but so that we feel loved, so that we can know that God cares so much about us that he's willing to fill in the gap between who we are and who we were always supposed to be. That's good news. It's good news. Jesus forgives and accepts us. And so God, he sees the brokenness of the world. He knows that we're responsible for the brokenness of the world. He knows that it's us. It's human beings that we've left God's perfect ways. We've left God's glorious ways. We're the ones who brought selfishness into the world. We're the ones who brought abuse into the world. We're the ones who manipulate. We're the ones who lie. We're the ones who cut corners. We've done these things and we have so disrupted the world that God made. I mean, when you really peel back the layers and you're honest with yourself and how you've acted in relationships with other people, right? And I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about me this week. So I'm not saying anything to you that I'm not saying to myself. But we have so radically disrupted God's design for people and for the world that the entire world suffers from the curse of us living apart from God's ways. Man. But then in Jesus, God worked out a plan. I mean, this is a plan, and I don't know how long it took him to come up with it. He's God, so it probably was like that. But then, wait, there's no progression in the thought of God. Theologians argue about this. Never mind, that's not for us today. Um, But God worked out this plan to fix both us and the world by fixing us so that we might participate in fixing the world. You get that? Like God's plan is to fix both us and the world by fixing us so that we will help him fix the world. I mean, that's what Jesus proves, right? God's original plan at creation then succeeds. His original design for us is that we would be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and reign and bring out the life-giving wonder of this creation. That succeeds in Jesus, but it's even more glorious, than the, than the initial plan, because as a heavenly father, he didn't abandon his wayward children. As a heavenly father, he didn't just be like, well, y'all are out. I'm going to start over. But he came to us. He entered into our world. No God has done that. 
No God has taken on real, honest to goodness, true humanity. True humanity. And he demonstrated his boundless, infinite love by going so far as even to die on the cross for us. Friends, this is who God is. This is what God is like. Man, by offering himself on the cross for our sins, God has satisfied his own divine justice. He's paid the price that our sins deserve. And he set us free. He set us free, free from the penalty of our sin, free from the power of our sin, and we are made new. And so this is what Paul means when he says, in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. Paul is saying, this is what God's been up to all along. He's saying, we finally understand now how God is able to be both his righteous and perfect self and still love and accept and include and renew unrighteous, sinful people like us. Man, and we're just scratching the surface. Like this is sort of the topic sentence. And I'm, in order to anticipate or in order to explain this verse to you, I've got to actually borrow from all these different places that we're going to see over the next 16 chapters of this letter. The rest of the book of Romans explains how God's righteousness is revealed in glorious detail. Um, And it shows in detail God's plan to bring about the glorious reality of his renewed image bearers becoming renewers and rulers who reflect God on earth. And this is heavy stuff. So in the gospel of Jesus, God shows that he doesn't want to fix the world apart from wayward people. He doesn't want to fix the world apart from us. Man, that's good news. That is such good news. Jesus shows us that God's plan is to renew people so that through them, through renewed people, the world would be renewed. And this is the vision of our church. This is what we see. We see a renewed city, right? Some of us are going to go out in all the world, and in some ways in San Diego, it's so transient that people come, people go. So in some ways, we spread out beyond San Diego. But what we see, we look for, we anticipate, we see God's righteousness coming true when we see a renewed city through a renewed people to the glory of God. I mean, this is why we live and move and have our being. This is a life that is full of purpose. This is a life that is worth living. And we've seen through this series that God works through circumstances of life. He works through people um, to bring about all of this. And when we believe in this, when we understand that this was, this is the significance of the resurrection of Jesus, like that Jesus was just the beginning of the renewal of the entire world, when you believe that Jesus emerged from the grave, when you believe that Jesus is now living forever in the life that we all long for, when you believe that, you begin to follow because you're like, wait, I want that life. And Jesus says, well, follow me. You can have it. It's revealed. Like this is present tense. It's revealed in the gospel. When you believe in Jesus, you begin to experience this even now. That renewal takes place in your heart in your mind. You begin to want things you never wanted before. You begin to think about things you never thought about before. You begin to care about people in ways that you never did before. It begins to change you. You're like, whoa, what is that? And it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus and his spirit living in you. 
Um, and so when we believe in this, it started with the resurrection of Jesus, but it begins to change us. And that's what Paul says next in the next phrase. He says it's from faith for faith. Some other translations say from faith to faith, but in the ESV it says from, it's God, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And what this phrase means is that God's promises show us a faithfulness that makes us faith-filled. Okay, God's promises show a faithfulness that makes us faith-filled. And so the from faith phrase is referring to God's faithfulness. Okay, God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel from his faithfulness. Okay, that's what it's saying. It's that we see that God has been faithful all along to his promises. That God has made these promises. He's entered into a covenant with us. And the gospel shows us that his promises are coming true. That God is faithful. So from faith means that it starts with God's faithfulness to his promises to love and to renew the world. And then it's for faith. That's our response. Okay, that's us responding in dependent trust in God. Okay, that's what it means. To have faith in God means to trust that he is at work. It means to trust and to believe that God is working and to live in dependent trust on him. And so it goes from God's faithfulness to our faith-filledness. Okay, because our faith, when we believe in Jesus, we are united to him, and then God accepts you as though you're righteous. God treats you as though you were as perfect as Jesus. And so God's righteousness starts with God, and then it covers us uh, with the perfection of Jesus. We are accepted first, um, but then something happens. That presence of Jesus that sort of covers us like a robe begins to filter into who we are. And it begins to change us on the inside. In some ways, we talk about this here at Harbor as we have the work of Christ for us and the work of Christ in us. The work of Christ for us is Jesus doing things that we could never do. He lived for us. He was perfect and we never will be. He died for us. He died for our sins. May God never, ever make us die for our sins. He did these things for us. And so because of that, we're forgiven and we are accepted. God looks at you. And if you're trusting in Jesus, God says, I love you just the way you are. And that is glorious news. But God's not done. There's this, old, this whole secondary work that God does, this subsequent work. It always comes, but it's always following the first work of acceptance and loving forgiveness. And this other work is God working in us. It's him working in us to change us from the inside out. This is Christ in us that, that begins his faithfulness, doesn't just cover us, but it then fills us. Um, and so it starts with God, it comes to us. And so it's like, it's like God is this father. <laughs> it's like this good father where he reproduces himself in those who trust and depend on him. So one author said this, he said, God has been faithful to his promises and his purposes. And if you want to benefit from God's faithfulness, you must have an answering faithfulness. You must believe 
You believe in Jesus, and then you begin to experience his love, and then you walk in that faithfulness, and you end up with what Paul calls an obedient faith in verse 5 of Romans 1. And so it's from faith, it's for faith. You know, that God's righteousness, again, like think back. So God's righteousness, his perfection, his perfect rule, his promises have come true in the gospel. In the gospel, they're revealed. We understand now how he's working out his plan to renew us and then engender us to help him renew the world. And this happens as God's faithfulness then is transmitted to us. Um, And this produces a life, okay? This produces a life. The last phrase in this verse is a quote from the Old Testament that says, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Now, you could be confused as you read this, and you might think that what this is saying is that righteous people live by faith. That's a true statement, but I think what this verse is actually teaching us is something a little bit different. It's actually teaching us that Those who are righteous by faith, they shall live. Okay, so there's certain people who are going to live and sort of live with a capital L, right? They're going to live this life that we all long for. There are certain people and the the, the people who do that are those who are righteous by faith. That's what this verse is saying. And the point here is that it can be a huge struggle the Bible is incredibly aware. It's, it's interesting how there are some passages in the Bible that when I read them, I think, man, why do I ever struggle with anything? This is true. And if this is true, then nothing else really matters. Like, why do I waste my time? Why am I even tempted? Like in these moments as I'm thinking about these glorious truths of Jesus and what he's done and this grand plan that God wants to include me to take a little piece of this world and express his loving authority over it. My I don't want to sin. I don't want temptation. I don't care about any of that stuff. And so there's the Bible on this side that talks like that in ways that make me think, man, what the heck? And then, then there's the reality of my life, right? There are those moments when for some reason or another, that temptation is louder and sweeter and more compelling than Jesus, and I'm ashamed to admit that, but it's true. Like there are times when I just don't care. There's times where I want to do what's wrong. And the Bible understands that and the Bible speaks to that. The book of Habakkuk is where this quote comes from. When it says, as it is written, that's usually code for, you can find this in the Old Testament somewhere. <clears throat> and so this phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, comes from the book of Habakkuk in chapter 2, and verse 4, and it's kind of in the middle of the book. And in that book, Habakkuk is the name of a prophet. So pregnant ladies, Habakkuk, there you go. Because I could go either for a guy or a girl, I think, actually. So um, just kidding, just kidding. No, but during the time that Habakkuk was prophesying, God's people were in this awful situation. They were in this awful situation. Life was falling apart all around them. Judgment was abounding and the people deserved it. And the problem was, the problem was that God was using this other nation to judge the people of God. 
and this other nation were more pagan and more debauched and more sinful and disgusting than God's people were being. And Habakkuk is watching this going, God, what, the, what are you doing? God, how could you do this? How could you judge your people with them? Okay, these are like when a political party loses an election um, and they think, well, God must be judging us. No, they never think that, actually. They come up with all kinds of other excuses why they lost. Um, Republicans the last eight years, Democrats right now. And, um, and they think, but wait, could God be judged? Well, they wouldn't be judging us by that party, right? God couldn't judge us that. I mean, that's kind of the dynamic that was going on. And so Habakkuk is frustrated, and he's, he's wondering, God, what are you doing? And where are you in all of this? And it's into the midst of his honest depression, his frustration, he realized that the only way to fight through that depression was to see through the judgment of God. The only way to deal with the brokenness of his life was to look through that brokenness, um, to acknowledge, in his case, to acknowledge that he deserved it and the people deserved it, but to, in the midst of that judgment, trust in God's promises. It was to trust and to hold on to the promises of God that he will return, that he will bless his people. And what he's saying in this verse that Paul quotes, he's saying, the people that trust God like this, they're going to live. The people who trust God like this, it's their lives that are righteous and they will not be destroyed by the circumstances of their lives. Yes, they'll be depressed. Yes, they will struggle. Yes, they'll ask questions to God, but in the midst of all of that, they will sit underneath the weight of the brokenness of their life and they will be able to find joy. They'll be able to find hope. They'll be able to find in their patient trust in waiting on God a confidence because they know that God will come through. How do I know that Habakkuk 2 verse 4 means this? Well, it's because of the way that the book ends. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17 says this. Put it up here on the screen. This is what Habakkuk says. You have to realize that Habakkuk is saying this in an agrarian culture. So agriculture was how they ate. And so this is the, this is the conclusion of this entire book. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. So there's a comma here, right? Because there's a conclusion. But I just want you to stop and realize what he's saying. He's saying, even though I'm looking at this nation, even though I'm looking at my life, and everywhere I look, there's emptiness, there's brokenness, there's barrenness. Everywhere I look, I don't see where God is. I can't find God. Everywhere I look, I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. I am tempted to, be, to think he's abandoned me. He says, even though what I see with my eyes tells me 
that there is no life anywhere. Yet, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. This is Habakkuk trusting in the righteousness of God that had been revealed to him. This is Habakkuk trusting that even though nothing in life looked like it was going the way it was supposed to go, he was still holding on to the promises of God. He still knew that God was going to come through. He had these promises. He would not let them go. And those promises gave him strength. All of God's people needed Habakkuk's words when they saw the circumstances in their nation. And so Paul says, look, church in Rome, you who are living under the seat of the Antichrist, you are living under the authority, under the nose and the thumb of Caesar himself. You desperately need this same faith. You need to know that even when your brothers and sisters are being captured, when they're being imprisoned, when they're being tortured and whipped, when they're being thrown to the lions, when they're being taken and they're being tarred and hung on poles and lit in Caesar's garden to light his parties at night, Those who are righteous by faith will live. You will live through this. You will get through this. God will be your strength. I mean, it's this faith in this gospel, knowing that because of Jesus, we could count on God's promises coming true, knowing because of Jesus, he rose from the dead, that he is now alive and living forever, so there is hope beyond the grave. The worst thing they can do to you is kill you, and yet Jesus has overcome even that. That when you trust in that, it gives you strength. This made people in Paul's day able to joyfully accept the plundering of their own goods. They joyfully accepted it. They joyfully accepted it when the authorities came in and pillaged their homes because they knew they had an inheritance that could not be touched. This made people joyful. It says that they rejoiced because they were found worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. I mean, this is real strength that Paul and the Romans desperately needed when they saw the circumstances in the Roman Empire. And guess what? This is exactly what we desperately need when we see the circumstances in our nation, in our city, in our own lives, and the lives of the people that we love. Our faith in God's faithfulness through Jesus will help us to persevere, and it'll help us actually to bring life and hope into the broken situations, into the frustration, into the friendships that are broken, into the relationships that are, that, are, that are broken. And so what this verse, what Romans 3.17 teaches us, 
This is maybe the big takeaway for today. The next slide is that our faith is the key to living in the gap between this world and the next. Our faith is the key to living in the gap between this world and the next. It is joyful for me to know that this isn't just a story about the people of Habakkuk's day. It's not just a story about people in Paul's day, but in our day, in this church, in this family, we see people who are responding with this kind of faith, who face excruciating circumstances and are trusting God by their faith in his promises They're living. They're living and they're spreading that life. There's all kinds of ways that we talk about faith. We talk about belief. Um, And I I just, I want you this week to put this into practice. I want you this week to live as if Jesus rose from the dead. I want you to live as if God's plan is to renew you so that you would renew the people and the the circumstances around you. I want you to go with confidence because God loves you and he is with you. Jesus has taken away your sins and fills you with his presence so that you can engage the world with real hope and real joy. This faith unites us to God and he works in us and through us. And for those of you who aren't Christians, this is the invitation for you. That God is here inviting you to live this kind of life so that you're not tossed around by the circumstances. You don't live up and down based on how well things are going for you, but you can have a rock solid assurance of God's love and his presence with you if you believe in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for showing us, even just scratching the surface of how the gospel brings about the coming true of your promises. Thank you for showing us how in Jesus you have both rescued us and you're renewing us so that we can participate in the renewal of all things. Jesus, would you show us in our lives this week where we can bring your renewing power? Help us first to rest in you and in the assurance that you bring, but then show us, are there people, are there circumstances, maybe at work, in the family, um, with friendships, Is there some place where we need to just to step in and offer hope and offer your love? Jesus, we want to see your light shine more brightly in San Diego this week. We want to share the brightness of your glory this week. And so show us where and keep our eyes open so that we can see opportunities to do that this week. We pray.
so that you would be glorified. Amen.